رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه ومن والاه وبعد. Who has read the book? No one? Who has read a summary of the book? Who has listened to Sheikh Hamza's lecture on the book? Okay, who? You did? Okay, Bismillah. Huh? Any of the brothers? Anyone? The brothers? Any of the sisters other than Sister Azami? Hmm? A bit of the book. Okay, how far? About 20 pages. Huh? 20 pages. 20 pages? Okay, that's good. From the beginning, including the intro or? Okay, good. Anyone else? Three chapters. Huh? I only read the first three chapters. Good. Who else? About any other pages. Twenty, good. Okay. Did you read the book? A small summary. Okay, good. Huh? The whole book? Just part of the video. Okay. Who else? We have three brothers and a few sisters. Bismillah, we'll start with Hassan. <laughs> okay, we'll start with Amira. Bismillah. Um, what I remember from the little that I read is that uh, reading is not a passive activity. Like, it's an active one. Like, uh, you don't only just read the, um, the words that the writer has written, but you have to know why he chose certain words and like what is the message he's trying to send across and then uh, he mentioned something about the the writer knows more than the reader and the reader might not necessarily um, encompass the whole meaning of what the writer is trying to say but that's not what he said he says not necessarily that the writer knows more than you sometimes you know more than him but he's basically saying we, we, this is a discussion, you know, this is, this is what it's meant to be. First of all, he speaks about three types of reading, or three aims of reading, right? One is called reading for, huh? For fun? Yeah. Reading for? No, that's the levels of reading. Okay. He speaks about three forms of reading. There's something called abecedarian reading. What is abecedarian? From A, B, C, D. Like a beginning reading, like what high school students would be doing. He says most of the high school students nowadays would just read basically like you just going through the book. And the second is called reading for information. information. And there is a, a reading for enlightenment. understanding, which is enlightenment. And then there is another fourth one. It's called the reading for enjoyment, reading for fun. When you read newspaper, you read a magazine, you read an article, sometimes you even read. And he says that most of us who know this abyssidary reading, or actually forget about abyssidary reading, let's say reading for information, reading for fun, and reading for hmm? understanding. And he says that reading for information, if you are reading this book to get information, then please leave it. If you're getting this book to read for fun, leave it aside. If you really want to read this book, or if you are supposed to read, then you should read for enlightenment. But to read for enlightenment and for understanding, it means that you have to read the book by using the book. Isn't that? Reading the book by using the book. So sometimes you go for aids of reading. 
like dictionaries, this, this, that. And that should not be our first option. Why shouldn't that be our first option? Why shouldn't that be our first option? Hmm? Because it is as if we are running to something which is facilitating the reading for us but keeps our mind stagnant. When we want to teach a child how to walk, what do we do? Let him walk. Huh? Let him walk. So he gives this exact example. He says reading is like holding to your shoes and climbing the stairs. When you hold to your shoes, imagine you're holding to shoelace and you have to climb the stairs like that. Difficult, isn't it? But it is stimulating. Why is it stimulating? Because once you do that, you, your body will take that shape and will be able to do it again and again and again and again. So he tells us that reading is an art. Reading is also a science, isn't it? And then he tells us that there are four levels of reading. Faisal, what are they? What you were talking about? Now, before that, abyssinarian reading. Abyssinarian reading. Reading of beginners. A person who just puts words next to each other. And that most of the children learn how to read in the first or second or third year of their uh, primary school. And then we have, Faisal, inspectional reading, which you, before I buy a book, I should have a, a quick inspectional reading. And then? Analytical, analytical reading, yeah. yes, and that's the best type of reading. Actually, most of the book is around analytical reading. That's the reading for information and enlightenment. And then, synoptical reading. Synoptical reading is when you have to read for a research or to write a paper. So you're reading five books at the same time on one topic. You're reading, for instance, something on Aqidah at the same time to see the different views. So you have to be synoptical. You have to get the synopsis of this. You know what is synopsis? Summary. Summary of this, summary of this, summary of this, summary of this. Right? Now, we will not go into inspection, uh, into, into abyssinarian uh, uh, reading. There is no point actually of talking about that. But we will talk about two types of reading. Analytical reading and inspection, inspectional reading. What are the most important things to do in inspection reading? First, why do we do inspectional reading? What is inspectional reading? Think. Even if you haven't read the book, think. Huh? No, you want to try to extract information from the book. You're looking for something, so you inspect the book for that information that you need. No. It is an initial reading of a book before you buy it. Basically, before you put any book in your library, you should do an, a quick inspection and reading of the book. Why? In case in the future someone asks, you know where to find the information. So if the main reason for inspection of reading is inspecting. Like, why do you inspect a person? Why do you do it? What is the job of an inspector? He inspects. Looking for what? Huh? Evidence, right? Exactly. So how would you do that? How would you do inspectional thing? How would you do the job of an inspector? First of all, you have to have specific things that you look for, isn't it? If you have to do some inspection of the house, you will not go and look for everything in the house. You know that people normally hide things in their pillows, 
in the mattresses under the bed. Someone might put his gold in the fridge, right? We will do all sorts of innovative things, isn't it? So as an inspector, you have to be more innovative. You have to be ahead of the criminal. But they say that every inspector is an ex-criminal. He has to be, right? He has to know, right? You know, a good mother is a naughty girl. Oh, uh, and earlier, earlier in her days, she was a naughty girl. And a good father has to be a naughty boy. He has to know, otherwise his boys will trick him. Like, then you tell them, do you think I'm a goofy? I'm very smart. You have to be ahead of your, of your children. They have to be ahead of your students as well. Otherwise, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be their teacher. Learn for life. You have to be ahead of your wife as well. <laughs> because you and the wife, you are like a criminal, she's an, she's an inspector. <laughs> Techniques. Right? So tonight, inshallah, you go and hide the traces of any crime that you have done. If you eat something from the fridge, while she doesn't, like if she's putting some restrictions on your food and stuff like that, you have to eat without leaving any traces. Like neither on your mouth nor on the plate. <laughs> right? Anyway, so inspection and reading, the main purpose of inspection and reading is to make yourself aware. Why? We don't have the time, we don't have the life of reading all the books. If you ever try to catch your responsibilities, you won't be able to catch them. There will you will always be behind. You will always be behind. So ABC of running a successful life is I should know that I will never be able to finish my responsibilities. What shall I do then? Try to prioritize them. Make priorities. And there are certain things that take time and there are no point of doing them. Push it aside. How do you do that? Plan. How do you plan? Write. Write all your aims. Huh? Write your aims, write your tasks for the day. When you write your tasks for the day and then you plan it very, very well, then you see the, there is a rule that says 2080. What's 2080? The 20 of the uh, uh, tasks that we do every day achieve most of the things that we want. And 80 of them are not important. So what happens? We spend the whole day looking at the 80. And we forget that the actual functional and positive ones are these 20. Right? So, I won't be able to apply that to reading. I won't be able to read all the books. So, at least I should take from every book 20% by inspection and reading. I, should, I asked once Sheikh Nasheikh Ali Jumaa, I said, how do you read all of these books? He has 60,000 titles in his library. That was many, many years ago. 60,000 titles, not 60,000 books, not 60,000 titles. So, for instance, like Al Futuhat al Makiyah is a title. Sayyar Alam al Bala, 28 volumes, that's a title. So, you're talking about something like a lot, a lot. He actually had five flats full of books, that is, libraries. Like he has got his own libraries, five flats, plus his own villa. Full of books as well. So I said, do you read all of these books? He said, no, I have passed on all these 60,000 titles. I said, what do you mean by passed on them? 
He said, when I buy a new stack of books, I don't put it in my library before I quickly flip through them. So I know what is there so that I can come back to it later. So what should, be, what should you be looking at, Faisal, when you do the inspection reading? What is the first thing you should look at? Huh? Content? Huh? Yeah? The whole body? The author. The author? Table of contents. Table of contents? Yes. Huh? Yes. Who said title? Smart. Title. Title. What, what is the point of opening the table of contents if you don't know the title? If you don't know the title, you might ascribe information to a specific book without actually saying or knowing that these information don't exist there. This book tells us that a lot of people say that Darwinism, you know Darwinism, the theory of Darwin on the development of species and the origin of species is in his book. Which book? Which, what is the most famous book of Darwin? The origin of species. Is it this? He says a lot of people think that, but that's not true. It is not there. It's in a book that was written 25 years later by Darwin. But because people don't understand and people don't pay attention, this is what they do. For instance, there is another book called The Decline or The Fall of the Roman Empire. What do you make out of this book? That it will talk about what? The Fall of the Roman Empire, isn't it? So where should it start from? from the start of the failure, isn't it? No. It doesn't. It actually talks about the origins of failure back in the days when it was very strong. So it doesn't talk about what has happened to indicate that the Roman Empire has fallen down. No. It talks about something earlier than that. So first of all, how to read a book? I need to know what is the name of the, of the book, right? I need to know also the author. So first, I need to look at what title. Next, where should I go? Summary? Which summary? What is the book? Yes, blurb. The blurb. What is inside here or what is at the back? Because that's the summary. Because most of the writers, if not all of them, they write the blurb after they finish the book. Because this is, the, this is actually the face of the book. This is the advertisement that you will read about the book. When you buy a book, what you will do, you flip the book behind, and ah, Jack Parzon, this person, this person praised the book, and then how to read a book originally published 1940 has become a rare phenomenon, a living classic. That's how, right? It is the best and most successful guide. These are reasons that you will want to buy the book for. It's because it's successful, it's a guide to reading comprehension, you are told about, look, this is the summary. You are told about the various levels of reading. So by reading this, I know what the book is about. You are taught about various levels of readings, how to achieve them from elementary reading, thorough systematic skimming and inspection reading, to speed reading. You learn how to <coughs> pigeonhole a book, x-ray it, extract the author's message, criticize, you are told the different reading techniques for reading practical books, imaginative literature. It's like a paragraph or two, summarizes the whole book. And then I have to look at what? 
add the, uh, the, the preface. The preface. Why? Because the preface will contain what you can call the message of the book. The author will state that. And I should be able to state in brevity, in absolute concise statement, what the book is about. <coughs> After reading that, the preface. And then I should look at the analysis of this preface, the table of contents, right? Quickly, very, very quickly. And look quickly through that chapters. And then choose at, have, you, can, you, can, you can say haphazard uh, passage of the book and read. To decide if the language of this book, I, I know the contents are interesting. The message is really interesting. But possibly the writer is very boring. Very possibly, isn't it? So I, I like his titles, but I don't like his language. So that means I will stop. So leave it aside. These are steps of inspection and reading. After that, I can say, I know what the book is about. Later on, I will look into it, if I want to read it. I can actually decide whether to buy the book or not, whether to read the book or not, whether to put it aside or not. Right? Then, this is inspection reading. Now about uh, analytical reading. Face up, huh? Understanding. Analytical reading depends on understanding, isn't it? And communication. It's a communication between you and the author. There is something that I disagree with this man in, actually with Mortimer Adler. A few things that I do, I disagree with him. I, I, I criticize the book. But I criticize the book after reading the book. And let's actually delay that today. Like, let's delay, what do I disagree? But remind me to tell you, what do I disagree with him on? He speaks about analytical reading. Now I want to read the book, I decided to read the book. What is the first thing that I should look at? Again, I have already looked at the title, I have already looked at the blurb, I have already read the preface, I have already summarized the message of the book, and I have already looked at the table of contents. What should I look at again? The index. What is the difference between index and table of contents? What is the difference between them? Huh? Huh? What is the difference between an index and a table of contents? Table of contents is very brief, but the index contains the terms and the words used, which gives you a bit more insight into what it is about. Exactly. When you look at any index, you realize U.S. Constitution is mentioned in 86, 87, 88, 89, 170, 358, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 occurrences in the book. But look at something as simple as the... the yes, Aristotle. Look how many times Aristotle is mentioned here. 46, 71, 78, so 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 13. So, there will be a lot of philosophy in this book. <laughs> Why? Because he speaks about Aristotle. Aristotle is famous for philosophy. And there will be little politics in this book. 
Why? Because he speaks about U.S. Constitution. How did I know that? From the index, not from the table of contents. So I have to look at these two things. Table of contents, to be able to analyze the flow of the book, the chart of the book. It's like I'm x-raying the book. That's the x-raying of the book. And then I look at the back to diagnose the areas of the book that need to be diagnosed through the index. Right? Now, I want, after I finish that, what is the next step? Huh? Key chapters. Huh? Key chapters. Okay, key chapters, looking at them and trying to analyze them. But before I do that, I should look at what? I should put questions to answer. What's the first question after all of this? What type of book is this? He uses this word, pigeonholing the book, classifying the book. Is it, first of all, is it practical or theoretical? What do we mean by practical and theoretical? A practical book tells you to do, tells you how. A theoretical book tells you why. He simply says this. So a practical book tells you. So in a practical book, like econo economics, is it practical or theoretical? Theoretical. Is that what he says? Philosophy. History. Ethics. Huh? Practical. But someone might say, no, it is actually theoretical. Because people don't put it in action. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at what should people do. Regardless of whether they are actually putting it in action or not. Right? Like when in, in, in something like uh, Aristotle's Utopia, for instance, he tells us how to live, isn't it? Jean-Jacques Rousseau, these people, when they speak about, even, what's his name? Machiavelli. Yeah, his book, The Prince. Is that practical or theoretical? It's practical. It's a practical book, right? So we have to define if this book is theoretical or practical. Now, this book, is it practical or theoretical? Huh? No, it is practical book. Why is it practical book? Because it teaches you how to read. That's not, like if I say, look, what is in the title? How? It didn't say why reading is important. If it was like the importance of reading for the human mind, without giving me any instructions, I would say this is a theoretical book. But it tells me how to read. Let's take this to what we study in Al-Husna. Logic. Is it practical or theoretical? Practical. Grammar. Practical or theoretical? Practical. Fiqh. Practical or theoretical? Practical. Ilm al-Aqidah. Practical or theoretical? Practical. Okay. Tafsir. Practical or theoretical? Theoretical? Yes, but what is more into it? Is it more practical or more theoretical? theoretical. More theoretical. It's more theoretical. Tasawwuf, practical or theoretical? theoretical? Practical. And it has some theory in it. 
In fact, everything that we do has a mix of both. But which one would you decide? We have a concept. Here, here is the contribution that I will give you because without actually reading, with reading this book, you can get a lot of information. But that's why we are bringing it into this discussion. Because I normally, when I read a book, I bring my traditional education and traditional training along, and then I put actually write on the sides and stuff like that. We have something in, uh, in, in Islamic studies which are called Sharia studies, sacred knowledge, called Ruloom al Ah, the tool sciences. What are these tool sciences? The sciences we have, the, if, if, we make a, um, if we make a triangle uh, or a pyramid, on top of the pyramid we have the Quran and the Sunnah, right? We have the what? the Qur'an and the Sunnah. I can't reach the Qur'an and the Sunnah unless I go through tools. What are these tools? What we call ulum al I'm going to use that. I'm going to use the board. So we won't be able to deal with the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Here is the Qur'an. The Qur'an. Right? They are there. I won't be able to deal with them unless I get to fix and to understand them. How? Through something called When you get into a pyramid, you have to climb one. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Right? Actually, you have 12 steps. These sciences that I have to come to, the Quran and the Hadith, these are texts. They are like the motor of the car, the engine of the car. Even if you have a car, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can fix it. Right or wrong? You cannot fix it necessarily. Even if you have had a catalogue of the car, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can deal with the particles of the car. What should you do? When you take a car to a mechanic, what does he do? He just looks and he knows what's the problem. Why? Because he has dissembled and reassembled the car, isn't it? So he knows the car. Why? Because he has got the tools. Two types of tools. Practical tools and intellectual tools. He knows but his knowledge was based on what? Experience and training, isn't it? Experience and training. So we have in Sharia, we have something called tool sciences. Or ulum al-ala. What is the value of ulum al-ala? What are these ulum al-ala? Quran and Sunnah. What language did they come in? Before I read this book, this is in English. Can an Arab, can an Arab who doesn't speak English read this book? Can an Arab who knows only the alphabet read this book? Can an Arab who has studied English at a very medium level understand this book? Maybe, but it would be very difficult. Why? Because the book uses quite academic language. So he has to have the ulumul ala for this. Quran and Sunnah is like the product of divine revelation. It's very high language. So if someone comes and says, I don't 
study anything I have the Quran and the Sunnah and I'm living my life with that. Is that a problem? Why? Because it is as if you have a car engine and you want to fix it without actually knowing how. Without even knowing what is inside the car. First you need to learn, oh but I can read the Quran. Yes, but you can open the engine of a car and look at it and put it back. You can actually open it and say this is engine, this is this, this is that, isn't it? You can read the human anatomy, you can read a book on human anatomy. It doesn't make me a, a, a physician, isn't it? I have bought recently a copy of uh, a briefer, what's it called? Huh? A briefer history of time. You know uh, Stephen Hawking? Yes. Because I want to read in that, in that area. Right? I need to read his terminology first in order to understand that. Will I be Stephen Hawking? I don't wish to. Right? Will I become Stephen Hawking after I read that? <laughs> in all aspects, right? That will not make will not make me as expert in that as his, right? So we have the two sciences. What are these two sciences? A, B, C of these two sciences is what? Grammar, or let's say language. We have what? Language, Arabic language. The Quran was revealed in what? As the Quran says. It's a bilisan in Arabic, in, a, in an Arabic lisan, in an Arabic tongue. So I have to understand the language. Oh, mashallah, Sir Abdul Hakim speaks Arabic. But that is not enough to make him a mufassir of the Quran. Oh, mashallah, we're studying Arabic as simply Islam. It's not enough to make you a mufassir of the Quran. I went to Azhar and I studied Arabic for four years. Does not, it's not enough to make you. You have to study language at a level where you master its language sciences. What are the language sciences? We have a science that deals with the word. Word formation. It's called what? Sarf. Morphology. And then we have a science that deals with sentence formation. It's called what? Nahu. And then we have a science that deals with derivation. Where did words come from? So that I will not mix a word with another word. Masih. Is it coming from Saha, which means to tour, or is it coming from Masaha, which means to wipe? So I have to know where are the words coming from. Otherwise, I will end up mixing this word with that word. I will read in the Quran, for instance, Hafidhu. So I will say the word hafizu is from the word hafiba, right? To protect. Which means I have to protect my prayer. Which means when you pray, you have to focus in your salah. No, this is not what the ayah is talking about. Hafidhu is not from the word hafidhu, it's from the verb hafidhu. Yes, it's the same stem. The stem of ha and fa and va, right? But this verb is different from that verb. Like the, the verb talaqa, which means talaqa, which means to release. 
and the verb intalaka, which means to run. Yes, they have something in common, but they mean two different things. The when if someone imagine this is a real story. One of our brothers, Nasser, knows him, Canadian brother, married to a Singaporean. Right? You know who I'm talking about. He was learning Arabic at the beginning of his life. And he wanted to show his sheikh that he speaks Arabic. And that is related by a person who was present in that meeting. So, his sheikh got married recently. And it was the first time he comes out on the day of Jum'ah. So I wanted to tell the sheikh, MashaAllah, are you going to Jum'ah today? So he said, he wanted to say, he wanted to say to him, أَتَدْهَبُ إِلَى الْجُمْعَةِ الْيَوْمِ What did he, what did he say? Are you going to pray? He said, أَتَدْهَبُ لِتُجَامِعَ الْيَوْمِ You know what is تُجَامِعَ? <laughs> Are you having intercourse today? Sheikh gave him a dirty look. Excuse me? So he wanted to say, أَتَدْهَبُ لِلْجُمْعَةِ الْيَوْمِ He said, أَتَدْهَبُ لِتُجَامِعَ الْيَوْمِ Excuse me? What does that have to do with you? Right? So you see what happened? He got himself into trouble because of just one letter or two letters, this king guy. <laughs> right? So that sometimes becomes quite problematic, right? I know of some brothers who say al-afu. Why do you say al-afu? Al-afu means like pardon. I'm sorry. Why do you have to say pardon every time you see me? Why? Why do you have to say al-afu, 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 tafadbal al-afu? So that's a wrong usage as well, right? That's a wrong usage. So we have to know what language is. And then we have something to deal with. I now know how to formulate sentences, how to understand sentences. Ah, no. Now I know how to formulate sentences and words and derivations. But I need to relate these symbols with their meanings. How? Through something called al-balagha, rhetoric. What does ulum al-balagha teach me? There are three sciences related to ulum al-balagha. What are they, Ustaz Saleh? Now start with al-badi'ah is the, 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 the least, the last. Al-badi'ah. And then? Al-bayan, the middle. And then? Al-ma'an. Al-ma'ani is the science which teaches the art, that teaches me what do words mean, so that when I want to speak, I know what words should I use for this ma'an. So it deals with statements and requests. It deals with when can I use an istifham, a request, or a question for refusal, or for denial, or for actually asking a question. So I said, so Nasser says, uh, I'm coming with you. He said, are you coming with us? Or, are you coming with us? These are two different meanings. One is like, are you coming with us? I'm, don't come with us. Are you coming with us? Ask me, right? So what to use when? That is called ilmul ma'an. Now I know how to relate words to the ma'an. I move to another level. How to relate, how to express that one meaning in various ways. Why? Because if I express one meaning in one way all the time, it is boring. Why is it, why is it boring? Because people have different levels of understanding. 
I can't speak to a little girl as I'm speaking to a high school boy, as I'm speaking to a graduate of university. So I have to have different ways of expression. And then we have, I explain things, I can express in different ways. But now let me make, so obviously, Ilmul Bayan talks about metaphor, reality, simile, metonymy. So I say, I saw a man delivering a khutbah today. Then later on I say, the khatib was like a lion today. You understand that he was brave. And then another time I say, I saw a lion in the masjid today. I saw a lion delivering the khutbah today. A lion doesn't deliver a khutbah. But you understand that this is what? Metaphor, right? Finally, I have something called badiyah from the word abda'a, which means beautifying. The science of beautifying my words. How to use rhyme. How to use words that are opposite, like al-layl wa nahar tawil wa al-qasir, sha'r, sha'r. All these words that sound similar, but they mean different things so that people say, oh wow, this is, this is really nice. And I was reading a statement of Gota, mentioned it to Nasser. He says, engage and your mind will grow heated. Start it and the job will be completed. You see how it rhymes and how it makes sense? You say, wow, this is really nice. But the Prophet why do English proverbs sound nice? Every cloud has a silver lining. Why? Because it has a meaning. And this meaning, they have encapsulated something in such a small sentence in a very, in a very nice way. Right? So we have to learn ulumul balaga. How many? Three. So how many so far? Six sciences that we're talking about. Now I know how to express and this and that. I need to learn something else before I even move to Sharia sciences that will deal with the legal aspect of the text. Bear in mind that these are legal things, right? What, what is that? There is a science called huh? logic. Oh, let's say I have to study the sciences of analysis. What is analysis? How to analyze the text. How to analyze the text. How do I analyze the text? We have to learn something called logic. And we have to learn something called debating techniques. What do you mean by debating techniques? He mentions there etiquettes of cultural and civilized conversation. How can I have a civilized conversation? It's not punching. It's not Zakir Naik style, right? Where are you refuting people? No. How can I have a civil... How can I debate in a civil way? So, I should not take the debate outside the topic. I have a discussion with Ustaz Abdul Hakim, and then I say, Abdul Hakim, how come that you... But he speaks, for instance, about the rights of Singaporeans and this and that. Say, but you're not Singaporean. That's not the topic of our discussion. I speak with a person, with a sister, for instance. She is talking about hijab and the importance of hijab. But she's not hijabi herself. And then I find benign hijab. And I say, how come that you're talking about hijab and you're not wearing it yourself? That's not your business. 
take me outside the conversation. When I'm dealing with you, I'm dealing with a mind. I'm not dealing with that person, right? So this is the science of logic and then the science of debate. Logic teaches me how to think, but it doesn't secure proper thinking. Because I may know all the rules of thinking, but I don't apply them. So I'll be damn fool. Isn't it? I still continue to be stupid. Also, debating how to analyze things. And then, we move from that to what we call ilm al-usul. Remember? Usul al-fiqh. So that I know what talks about what, what specifies what. Usul, I will not understand the usul unless I have understood what? Language. Unless I have studied what? Balaga. Remember? Now it makes sense. While we are studying in Husna 2, we're studying uh, metaphor and this and this and that. And sometimes it doesn't mean anything to us. Why? Because we haven't studied Arabic grammar. So, I need all of this to study usul. When I analyze the text, the text is made of Arabic. The text has all these Arabic techniques. I have to understand them. And then, after all of this, I have the science, sciences like the science of uh, or let's say what do we mean by the sciences of the Quran what is revelation what's the nature of revelation what are the occasions of revelation Makkan and Madani why? because that will enable me to analyze the text so I know which of the Quranic texts were revealed in Mecca and which were revealed in Medina. So I understand the what? The context and the flow. And in order to complete that, I need to understand what's also what? No, 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 hold on. Sirah and Shaman. Why? Because in order to analyze the Quran, the Quran was revealed over 23 years. So I need to know what relates where. What has happened when and why is it that this is after and this is before, right? And then while I'm studying that, I need to study also, huh? Mustalah al-Hadith. Why? I have studied already Ulum al-Quran, so I know what terms will the Mufassirin be using. And now, uh, in order to deal with the Sunnah, I need to know the categories of Hadith. I need to know the terminology of Muhadithin. I need to know why is this hadith acceptable, why this hadith is in, in, in action, why this hadith is not in action. When someone says that this hadith is da'if, I should be able to respond, to visualize what is a da'if hadith. And then I need also, in order to complete that, after studying Mustalah al-Hadith, I need, I, after that, let's say, after studying Mustalah al-Hadith, al-Sirah, al-Shamayl, al-Sbab al-Nuzul, al-Usul, logic, I can, I can do something called Tariq al-Tashriyah. What is Tariq al-Tashriyah? History of Islamic legislation. What does that help me? Usul tells me how does legislation happen. How to deal with the main sources of Sharia, Quran, Sunnah, da da da. Tariq al-Tashriyah tells me what was legislated when. And the philosophy. And then I need to study something called Al-Maqasid. What are the Maqasid? Objectives of Sharia. Why? I want to put the text within the objectives. If I buy a car, 
is the main objective of buying the car? Transport. What if someone buys a car and he removes the ceiling of the car and buys a lot of durian, puts it there, and he starts using his car as a vendor for selling durian? What will you say about this person? Kharban, huh? exactly. Kharban, Kharban, Kharban. Three times for the confirmation. Huh? Because of the durian and because of the car. Right? Why? Because he has used the car for a maqsad, for an objective other than what it is made for. The Quran has come to establish five main maqasid, five main what? Objectives. Preserving the nafs, the self, human self, preserving human mind, preserving the deen, the freedom of religion, and preserving the honor, and preserving property. So if any of that is violated by using the Quran, I say, excuse me, you are using the car for selling durian. Right? You are using the car for selling durian. That's the problem. So now, you see how much have we written? That's a lot, isn't it? After all of this, oh yes, I forgot, we have something called ilm al-qira'at, remember? The science of qira'at. How to read the Quran and what are the other variations. This will help us in tafsir. After I do all of this, I can actually say, now let me open al-Bukhari. And now let me open the Quran. And I can give tafsir, and I can give hadith, understanding of the hadith. Right? But even that, there are some other sciences that I have not mentioned. Like, qawaid fiqhiyah. There are legal maxims that make my movement easy. When you come to Changi Airport, what did you come for? To visit Singapore. There are rules that you have to follow. If we come and we have automated passports and we just went through the Singaporeans and long pass permits, they would say, no, you can't come through here. Yeah, but we have automated passports, but that's not your place. So they have put rules and regulations when you get into the plane, you have to obey the rules and regulations. You say, oh, you know what? I don't have to put the seatbelt. You know what? I don't have to make my seat standing like, uh, straight. If you, if you cannot do that, then you will be disobeying the rules and regulations. After all of this, what do we do? So all of these sciences are called what? Yeah, Obviously, then you have, you have something called philosophy. If you, if you want to actually deal with something else, you have something called Tajweed. If you want to read the Quran properly, and you have sciences like Muhammad, which is prosody that teaches you how to deal with poetry, Arabic poetry. Not because we love Arabic poetry, obviously we love Arabic poetry, but because Arabic poetry is, is contemporary to the Qur'an. So it helps us understand how Arabs, contemporaries to the Qur'an, spoke. So you might find something in Arabic poetry that helps you understand the Qur'an. Whether it is a story or something like that. So can you imagine all of that? This book, right, talks about what we call the tool sciences. This book indeed talks about what? What we call the tool sciences. What are these tool sciences? 
it says that in order to understand anything, you might end up having to read another book. Meaning, if I want to read a book of physics, I might miss the point because I need to read, to make some initial readings into physics. And then I come to that book. Possibly I'm jumping two, three books ahead, and I just need to go back. If I want to read mathematics, I need to read initials of mathematics, isn't it? Mathematics for the dummy. I need to read ethics for the dummy. I need to, to read something like a beginner's guide in philosophy, so that I will understand the terminology and things like this. These are called what? Ulumulat. So, we said, we have to pigeonhole the book, and after pigeonholing the book, classifying the book, saying what the book is about, then you need to put a statement of the book, you need to look into the skeleton of the book, and then after the skeleton of the book, you need to define or to answer this question. What is the main problem the author is trying to answer? What is the main problem the author is trying to what? answer? Why have I written this book, the Maqsad? What is the main objective of writing this book? So these are three rules summarizing stage one. Stage what? One. He says, Rahimahullah. <laughs> right? He says, first stage of analytical reading. Rules for finding what a book is about. I call it CSED. Classify the book, state what the book is about, enumerate the major parts, and define the main problem. So what is the fourth Step in stage one, what is the main problem? I won't be able to tell what's the main problem unless I have classified the book, unless I have stated what the book is about, and unless I have known the skeleton of the book. So you can call this stage what? Discovery. Right? It's a discovery stage. You have to discover. By the way, I'll tell you something really interesting. After I read this book, you know what? I actually summarized these rules in poetry in 15 lines or 12 lines of poetry. And I shared it with some of our, the mashayikh in the Sheikh Iman. And I said, that's really nice. And I said, inshallah, I'll write a hashiyah and a sharq on it. An interesting idea, remember? Huh? Yeah, Arabic poetry, not English poetry. <laughs> not that advanced, right? So I actually put that in poetry. It, 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 it sounds much better. Than like, uh, <laughs> You have to praise your work as well. yourself. <laughs> so stage one is what? Is discovery. Stage two, I have now looked into what is this book? Where, where, I, where can I place it? Classifying. If I want to look for a country, and you know what? These are rules for life. If I want to know about the economy of a country, or the problem of a country, first I need to know what continent is this country. <laughs> so classify. And then second, the whole book is about where can I place this country? Is it a developed country, underdeveloped country, or is it like advanced? And then I have to enumerate the major uh, resources and political parties and all of this, and then find and the, the population. And then finally I can say the main problem in this country is this. 
I now have defined the problem. I move to stage two. What is stage two? Verification. So put this, this is not in the book. Discovery, second stage is what? Verification. I have also another four steps in stage two. Second stage of analytical reading, rules for interpreting the contents. I have known the contents, I know the problem. How can I verify that? It is CGKD. So what is the first one? CSED. This one is CGKD. Come to terms. Anyone using writing a content, he uses words, right? But he uses words to mean specific things, right? It's not just words. Otherwise, language would be very easy. I use a specific word to mean something. Therefore, I need to understand how he is using the words, which we call terms. This word means this. And this term refer to that word. I might use the same word to mean two different things. I said today, Sister Hazani said, reading for enlightenment. I said, reading for understanding. It's the same thing. I use the word understanding and she used the word enlightenment. He actually says that. We have used the word enlightenment and the word understanding. What happens when we don't use the same terms? Misunderstanding. So you have to come to terms with the author. Then when you put terms together, what do you make? Sentences. Good. You, when you put words together, you make sentences. But when you put terms together, you make propositions. Make, make this difference. When you put words together, you come to sentences. Words together make sentences, grammatically. But not every sentence is a proposition. If you're asking, if a wife is asking her husband, we have fish tonight. That is not an intellectual challenge. It's an abdominal challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge for your tummy, not for your brain. But if you don't like fish, like me, so you might have a fight. And then at the end you say, the wife is right. Right? And you end up taking a bite. <laughs> or otherwise, she will bite. <laughs> right, Saleh? Is it Saleh? Is Saleh is happy. Inshallah. No bites tonight. <laughs> hey, so, you have to firstly come to terms with the author by knowing his words and their meaning. Then you have to come to know his propositions. So come to terms. Grasp his leading propositions. When you put propositions together, huh, what is he arguing? What, what is he talking about? Why, how is he using the terms? And then how he uses the terms in a larger context? What facts he's talking, he's introducing to me? So this book argues, for instance, that if you read using a pen and paper, and if you make stars and references, and if you use a highlighter, your reading will be more productive. Your reading, look, look at that, listen, your reading. This word reading, I used it now to mean reading for understanding. But Abyssinian reading doesn't need that form of thing, isn't it? If you're just reading the newspaper, you don't need a highlighter. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> So, I have used the word reading as a word to mean a specific term. So, we have to come to terms, and then we have to come to proposition. He might be wrong, isn't it? 
He might be wrong in stating that some people might say, Hazami might say, I can't read a book unless it's very clean. Someone like me might say, I can't read a book unless it's very dirty. I have, someone might say, my wife might say, I can't leave any trace in the book. It's very irritating. I say, oh, I have to lick the book so that people will know that I have understood it. But you leave the information. Eh? <laughs> Isn't it? So you have to come to terms and then you have to know the proposition. That's a fact that he's stating. So you have to know if it's right or wrong. And then next to that, once you have come, so you came to terms, you grasped those propositions. Now when I put propositions together, what do I make out of that? Argument. So an argument is building, is a structure of what? Of propositions. So after one, one paragraph or two paragraphs, I can get the idea of his argument. When I say the sun rises from the east and sets in the west, these are what? Propositions. These are what? Propositions. Therefore, Singapore finishes its day before London. I have made an argument. Isn't it? Where is the argument? Is it in the, that last sentence? No. It's the building of the whole thing. Why? Because if I want to verify your argument, I will have to look into, does the sun actually rise in the east? Does the sun actually rise in the west? Why does that happen? Where is Singapore? <laughs> is it in the east or the west? And why does that, why, why is that that the day of Singapore finishes there, uh, earlier than London? Right? So all of this is the argument. Does that make sense? So I'm moving from words, come to terms, grasp his propositions, and then huh? know his arguments by finding them. You have to find the arguments. And then finally, remember, what was the first thing? Classify, and then? State, and then? Huh? Enumerate, and then? Huh? Find? Yeah, define, yes. And then the second stage, step one, huh? come to terms, grasp, and then no, and then finally determine if the question that you have posed in the last step in stage one, which is, what is the book trying to answer, if he has actually answered or not, right or wrong. Did he, was he loyal? Was he truthful? He said at the beginning, I'm going to solve this problem. Did he actually solve it or not? I won't know if he has solved it or not, unless I know his terms, I know his. Does that make sense? So define which of his problems he has solved. Possibly, he said, I'm going to deal with five problems. He answered only three. Or he has answered all the five. Or he has answered nothing. Possibly, some books don't answer anything. It just beats around the bush, and that's it. So this is second stage. So what was first stage? What did we call it? Huh? Second stage? And the last stage is criticize. Why should you criticize? Because you are a human being. Because you are an intelligent human being. Because this man is not better than you. But before all of this, because it's Adam to deal with this, this man took the 
troubles and the time to state his ideas and help you. The only way to say thank you is to evaluate his work. How would you criticize? How would you criticize? So the third thing is what? Rules for criticizing a book as communication of knowledge. So criticizing does not mean, oh, this man is damn fool. That's not criticism. This is impoliteness. Right? Oh, you know what? This book has no value. This is what? Lack of objectivity and respect. You know what? I couldn't get anything out of this book. You're stupid. Right? Yes, he says, some people come and tell you, I don't understand what you mean, but you know what? I disagree with you. <laughs> he says, people like this are irrelevant. Don't even listen to them. If, no one, if the person cannot understand you, he cannot criticize you. What are you criticizing? Right? What are you criticizing? You have to understand me first. So, criticism is a form, criticizing is a form of what? Communication with the author. He has communicated information, I want to communicate my knowledge back to him. Criticizing does not mean that I disagree 100% or I agree 100%. I may agree with certain things, I may disagree with certain things. So he tells us in this last thing that there are two main parts of this last part. Criticism, criticizing. There are two main parts. Part one and part two. What is part one? Part one is intellectual etiquette. If you want to criticize, you have to what? To have adab. If you want to argue with me, you have to have adab. You can just come and be impolite and go away. What are the intellectual etiquettes? Because now I want to debate with this guy. So I have to have intellectual etiquettes. And the second part is criteria for criticism. So intellectual etiquettes and then criteria for criticism. What are the intellectual etiquettes? There are three intellectual etiquettes. Write it like this, three Ds. The three Ds. Don't, don't, don't. What is the first don't? Don't begin criticism unless you have understood the book. Don't criticize until you understood. Otherwise, it will be nonsense. Second, don't disagree because you want to just to dispute. When you disagree, disagree because there is something. Like if there are some people who say, I disagree, I disagree, I disagree. Why do you disagree? I don't know. <laughs> yes? <laughs> you don't disagree just because you disagree. Disagree and put your reasons. Analyze. I don't want this place. Why? I just want it. You know, I don't like this thing. Why? I just don't, don't like it. You know what? I don't like Abdul Hadi. Why? I just don't, don't like him. What do you mean by that? You know what? I, I don't like Nasser's choices. Why? I just don't like them. What do you mean by that? I don't like Singaporean allies. Why? I just don't like them. There is nothing called I just don't like. <laughs> there are reasons A, B, C. So don't disagree until you understand. Second, don't disagree just for the sake of disputation. And number three, don't mix. Let me put it this way: don't mix knowledge with personal opinions. 
or let's say differentiate between knowledge and personal opinions. Sometimes this guy represents in his book his personal opinion. When he says, I believe or I like, if someone, for instance, asks me, yes, yeah, what do you like for dinner? I say, I don't like spicy food. That's not knowledge. That's my own preference. <coughs> do you like uh, mango or strawberry? I love mango. I believe that mango is nicer. That's not as a fact. I'm not stating a fact. But when I say, I believe that Ash'aris are right in matters of Aqidah, now that's not personal opinion. That's not. <coughs> right? Why? So, Faisal will ask me, why? I say, one, two, three, four, five. But you know what? I, uh, I really like hot weather. Why? I just like it. That's personal opinion. So when you read a book, when you disagree, you have to disagree with knowledge, not with his personal opinion. So if he says, for instance, uh, I like big families. If he's stating that as part of my, there is a big difference if he says I like big families, and if he says successful societies are made of big families. If he says successful societies are made of big families, that is knowledge. That is his findings. So I have to say, excuse me, hold on. We have big countries that is based on big families, and they have this and this. He has to defend it. But if he says, I like big families, that is his own personal opinion. If he says, I believe that the, big, that the best solution for the problem of poverty in the world is this. Or he says, I don't like uh, some rich countries that do this and this and that. That's your personal opinion. They have a counter personal opinion as well. But when you say the solution is this, and now you're stating knowledge. So, let's say, stage three, which is criticized, is made of two parts. Part one is, what are they for us? The three Ds. Until you understand. No, 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 before that, don't disagree for the sake of disputation. And then finally, differentiate knowledge from personal opinion. Now, if I want to criticize, now I have done that. I have come to that stage. Then, if you want to dispute with him, go away. If you haven't understood, go and read again. If you have understood, and you, have, you are not criticizing or just agree, disagreeing for the sake of disagreement, and you know the difference, if you don't know the difference between knowledge and personal opinion, go back. If you know, and you have decided that this person has failed to answer all the questions he proposed at the beginning. The problems he stated at the beginning haven't been answered completely. You have four criteria for measuring them. Anything that you do has to have what? A measure. What are these? Any writer might have a problem of one of four problems. Might have one of four problems. What are they? We said three Ds. Now we say what? Three S. Show, 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 show. You're required to show. Show what? Show that he is uninformed. What do you mean by uninformed? He didn't know. 
So possibly his conclusions are wrong because he didn't know. A lot of people base their opinions on smoking because they didn't know that smoking can kill. Right? Because at their time medicine was very primitive. Therefore they had a problem. So what that if, if I say, yeah, there was this and this and this and this. I said, I didn't know that. Okay, then you have to know. So you should say to this guy, excuse me, you didn't know. Not just you say it, but you have to back it. What didn't he know? And by the way, when you say what didn't he know, don't quote for me things that he doesn't know, which have nothing to do with the topic. Because each and every one of us has little knowledge. And there are loads of things that we don't know. So there will always be things that you don't know. No, I'm talking about what a specific topic. You don't, you have deficiency of information in this area, in this topic. And that's why this research is incomplete. So he is not informed. The second problem, or we call it in Arabic what? Jahil Basit. Simple ignorance. Remember that? He is uninformed. Second, he might be misinformed. Right? He is misinformed. He, do, he knows, but he knows something else. This is called what in Arabic? No, that second one. He is misinformed. He knows something other than the reality. The first one, he doesn't know the reality. So just tell him. The second one, he knows something other than the reality. So you tell him, this is not the reality, and the reality is this. That's called jahl murakkab, compound ignorance. Now you have to tell him, by the way, what you know is wrong, and now I'm telling you something else. So he is uninformed, he is huh? misinformed, show why he is uninformed, show that he is misinformed. Sometimes the third problem is, he is making a conclusion. But the way that leads to his conclusion is incoherent, illogical. He's illogical. So you have to know his terms, propositions, arguments to say why these arguments don't lead to this conclusion. So you have to say if he is illogical. So uninformed, misinformed, huh? illogical. Or possibly he has made an incomplete analysis. He came to Singapore and met five people and based on these five people who has taken a sample of Singaporeans he decided that all the residents of Singaporeans come from Malay origin. All the majority of them are Malays. You haven't actually visited different parts of Singapore. That's why when we do an empirical research, what do we do? We have to take different samples that represent the society, right? Otherwise, it would be a problem, isn't it? So, possibly his analysis is, is incomplete. When you write even a PhD, they, they might say, your analysis is faulty. Why? It's incomplete. So these are the four things. Show why he is uninformed. Show why he is misinformed or where he is misinformed. Show where is he illogical and why. And finally show why his analysis is incomplete. If you do that, you can say, I have read the book. If you don't do that, you cannot say, I have read the book. Obviously, the book offers 
further investigation into it's very very beautiful gives further investigation on what are the reading aids including dictionaries encyclopedias and how can we use encyclopedias and dictionaries cautiously and what is an encyclopedia and what does encyclopedia help me with but encyclopedia is not giving me personal opinions it's giving me facts so I should not actually take things there and try to measure them and how to read specific things how to read history and how to read huh? how to read history how to read mathematics how to read science how to read tragedy how to read plays how to read comedies how to read poetry how to read uh, philosophy and how to read social science these are areas the book helps me with but up to that point actually I personally have I would say that you should read at least 300 pages of this book if you read the whole like I haven't read the whole book but if you can read up to 340 here it actually says yes 336 basically don't read the appendix read, leave it if you can read this that would be perfect if not then at least read till chapter uh, the, the, the chapter 11 read uh, the first 11 chapters of the book and after that if you are, if you have time you can read it another thing is this book is to be read more than one time so read it try to analyze always carry two things with you pencil and, hi and highlighter and write on the side you know I, my my uh, bookmark is actually a dictionary it's like a simple dictionary where I look for the words sometimes you just go through without having to ask what does this word mean but every now and then stop and get the word and try to put uh, your input finally I'm going to criticize uh, just simple <coughs> words uh, on criticizing the book one the book repeats itself too much and that sometimes becomes quite boring Right? Tiring. Huh? Tiring. Very tiring. Sometimes you lose the point. However, they say that this is important because this is there to teach you how to read a book. So they might have an excuse in that. But it is not for everyone to have that. So possibly they could have produced an abridged form of this book that is suitable for people who are already readers. So this can be for beginners and the other could be for readers who don't want all of this sometimes they quote long quotations but that's also we can apologize for that because they have to teach you the essentials of reading the second my second point of criticism is that this book says at the very onset that reading is unaided learning reading is unaided learning and you get from unaided learning more than what you get from aided learning. I disagree with that completely. Because in our tradition, the book does not teach you. You need to have a sheikh, otherwise the book will be of no value. Obviously, this, is, this concept is in Western philosophy. Why? Because in Western philosophy, it is based on research and failing. 
research and failure. But since we are dealing with Sharia sciences, our failure means people falling in haram for many years, and people falling in makruh for many years, and people failing in disasters for many years. So this is the second point that I have actually raised with this book. And a few other points, but these are the more important focal points. That if it says unaided reading, uh, unaided learning, yes, there is unaided learning, but there is always the danger of falling into error, big error with that. I hope, inshallah, I have managed to give you a brainstorming ideas for the book. I hope that uh, we've been speaking for quite some time. I hope that this is uh, of, uh, of, uh, of any benefit for you. Inshallah, with the light, uh, uh, if time allows tomorrow, I might bring the lines of poetry there in a small note with me. I always keep in my pocket uh, and share that with you. And uh, I pray that Allah gives you the benefit of that. If you don't depend only on uh, listening to the talk of Shihaza, because Sheikh Hansa brings about a lot of things, how his relation with the author, his father's relation with the author, and this and this and that, and what did they do, the story behind the book, this is good. But reading grows your mind and makes it strong and teaches you patience and teaches you, it is, it is a very stimulating and very effective and very relaxing thing. Obviously it talks about reading as a, as a technique of psychological relaxation. That ten, 10 minutes of reading before bed. Oh yes, you don't read to sleep. Uh, he says that, don't read to sleep. When you go to bed, don't read just to go to bed, right? When you read, you have to be alert yourself, right? right? Not in your bed, farting and farting, right? <laughs> Going through the book, oh, let me sleep, huh? And stop reading tinted, right? <laughs> Right? You can go to a more reasonable and mature reading. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts all of you. I used to read Tintin, but uh, I, used, I also used to read Osborne books as well. Oh, mashallah, I thought you used to be reading them. No, I'm good. I read children's books about 150 words. Good, mashallah. Love that. Cute. Uh, alhamdulillah, uh, we, we, I think we reached our breaking point of. <laughs> For most of us, our understand students, we had from 10 a.m. up to 940 right now. So you've literally almost studied for nearly 12 hours. So So I think right now, what's more, uh, what's imperative and what's uh, essential is for us to take a short breather uh, with Wasila. Uh, so with the permission of that.